Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, also has the truth about life and death. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here. It's a good day to study the Bible, and that's what we're going to do for the next 30 minutes is try to answer as many of your questions as we can. Uh, if you're a first-time viewer, that probably sounds a little strange to you because it's not how most religious TV programs work. Most of them tell, tell, them, uh, tell you uh, what they think you need to know. Uh, on this program, we ask you what you'd like to know and just answer those questions. So we even give you a phone number and a website. You can use either one of those there at the bottom of the screen uh, to get your questions to us. Uh, we'll put them in our pile of questions and work our way through them as fast as we can. So uh, anything you're interested in, something you've always pondered about or heard was in the Bible and just can't believe it, we'll try to find it for you. So any of those kind of things, let us know and we'll answer your questions in the weeks ahead. Let me introduce my two helpers today. Uh, Jeff Martin's down there on the end. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. Toby Levering in the middle, morning, back Steve. with us. And I'm Steve Tandy and we're going to answer some questions today. But uh, our viewers, regular viewers, know they get to start. So here's your first question, uh, trivia question of the day. Uh, what does the book of Revelation say the 12 gates of the New Jerusalem are made of? So, uh, interesting question. We'll give you an answer at the end of the program. Uh, see how Revelation describes the holy city. Toby gets to start, and that's uh, one we get pretty regularly. Yes. People wonder about it. And yep. The viewer asked the question, did Mary have other children after Jesus, and the simple answer to that is yes, she did. Now, the question comes from a doctrine of teaching uh, known as the perpetual virginity of Mary. And this doctrine teaches that Mary was a, a virgin before uh, the birth of Christ, during the birth of Christ, and after the birth of Christ, meaning that she never had any other children besides Jesus. Um, it's an interesting doctrine, but it's not a biblical one. Uh, we know that Jesus did have siblings. And in fact, the scripture is very clear on that. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 and 56. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? All right, so... Just from that verse right there, we know that Jesus was at least one of seven. We and sisters is plural, so we don't know if it was just two or more than that. But Jesus certainly had other siblings. And so the, the doctrine of perpetual virginity of Mary is not a biblical one. Yes, he had other. Mary did have other children. Jesus certainly had siblings. So that's All according right. to the Bible. All righty. Thank you. Jeff, should we be afraid of God? Yep. Uh, well, pretty broad <laughs> question. But I don't want to know why we should fear God. And, and to answer the question, there's several reasons. Um, the Bible is very clear that God should be feared. Uh, in fact, it, it says so outright. But not only that, but if you if you look at the Old Testament, you read the stories of God and you see who God is and you see his power and wrath, it seems very strange not to fear God. Uh, we hear a lot of teaching about how God loves us. 
And that is true. He does. We hear a lot of teaching about how God sent his son uh, to die for us uh, on the cross. And that's also true. Those are good things. But those things don't make God any less worthy of our respect and our reverence and our humility and also our fear. Uh, the Bible tells us that we are also deemed wise if we fear the Lord. Let's look at Proverbs 1.7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So obviously here part of fearing the Lord is being wise enough to keep His instruction, even if, if it's instruction that we don't understand with our limited earthly wisdom. Uh, the, Bible is also, the Bible is also clear on the deviousness of those who don't fear the Lord. So if you don't fear the Lord, you might want to uh, examine yourself a little bit. Let's look at Proverbs 14.2. It says, Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly, but those who despise Him are devious in their ways. Uh, so biblically speaking, fearing the Lord is important. Uh, we know that we're saved uh, by grace through faith in Christ, so we, we don't have to fear damnation if we're believers. But again, if you remember that God doesn't change and you remember that God created the universe and parted the Red Sea and brought fire down from heaven and sent plagues on Egypt and sent a flood that destroyed the entire world, we know God can do those things and we know God is worthy of some serious reverence and fear. Uh, God doesn't change again. And we need to be careful that we don't change him to fit him into a mold that is, is, is something to not be afraid of because it makes us more comfortable. So in a nutshell, that's, that's some of the many reasons that we should fear God. All righty, thank you. Viewers wondering about the difference between the Bible <coughs> excuse me, and the Koran. What's the difference between the two? Well, they are both holy texts. Uh, they are holy to different groups of people. Uh, the Koran is the holy text, the holy book uh, to the nation of Islam, to the religion of Islam, not the nation of Islam. Excuse me, that's different. Uh, the religion of Islam. And the Old Testament, the New Testament, in our Bible, uh, are the holy text to the Judeo-Christian world. Uh, the Old Testament is the holy text of uh, the Jews, of the uh, uh, Jewish people, and the New Testament is the holy text of Christianity. So uh, they are both holy texts to different groups of people. Now, to discuss the difference, uh, we could go on for, for hours about that, but let me just give you a couple. Uh, the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, were written uh, inspired by God, we believe, written by 40 different people over about 1,500 years, uh, and it all agrees. Uh, people have been trying for centuries uh, to find discrepancies, to find errors, to find mistakes, uh, and they haven't done it. Uh, the Bible's inerrant and that it was inspired by God. Uh, the Koran uh, was, yeah, I've started to say written by one man, but it really wasn't. Uh, it was spoken by Muhammad uh, 600 years after Christ, by the way, and he said that Gabriel, the angel, gave him uh, the information and he spoke it to his followers over a period of about 20 years. And after he, nobody wrote it down. 
uh, and after he died, uh, people started writing down what they remembered he said, and that became the Quran. So very different origins. Uh, the Quran's much shorter. It's about half the size of our New Testament, uh, not near as uh, long as the Bible. Uh, so, so it's different in th those ways. Uh, the main way it's different, uh, or is in its teachings, and uh, let's kind of highlight those. It portrays a very different God. Uh, some people say Allah is the same as Jehovah. Well, no, He isn't. Allah is a very different kind of God. If you read the Quran, uh, it portrays a very different. A way of salvation, uh, how you please the God of the two different texts, uh, and it portrays a very different way of life uh, for people to live and uh, the morality expected of them and all that. So they're very, very different books, and the difficulty with critiquing the Koran or explaining it or even understanding it uh, is we have to read an English translation. And what we see from that, uh, if it is kind of negative in any way, uh, the answer is, that, well, you can't understand a translation of the Quran. The only way it can be understood uh, is in the original Arabic and by somebody that knows that language, so they've got the final say on what it really means. Uh, and the difficulty with that is, within Islam, they don't agree on what it says. Uh, if you notice, uh, there are very different sects within uh, Islam that battle against each other all the time. Uh, so the Quran produces some things different than what the Bible produces. Like I said, we could talk about that, and we're not experts on the Quran. There are some great books you can order or uh, online resources that you can read about the Quran and learn a lot more about it. But uh, they're both holy texts for different religions, and they're very different uh, in the way they portray God and the way that people should live and the way that people please God. Very, very different. All right, let's take a moment and talk about studying the Bible, not the Koran. Uh, we advocate knowing your Bible, and we know a lot of our viewers are, are serious students already. Sometimes they'll catch us in a, a mistake, uh, never a very big mistake, but they, they, they've caught us in a few over the years, and we appreciate that. Uh, but we also got some viewers that don't study the Bible a whole lot, and we want to help you. Uh, we've got some tools that you can use at home. Uh, we'll mail them to you. We'll pay the postage both ways, uh, and you can learn about the Bible. Uh, this is the first set of lessons. There are eight in it, and a good, good course. Once you graduate from that, we've got some more advanced ones that are a little more detailed and help you study different parts of the Bible, different topics. And if you would like to, we've even got some online courses for you. So just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org. You can start studying on your phone or tablet and uh, just uh, know your Bible digitally. So we've got all those options. Phone number, website on the screen. Use those anytime. Tell us you'd like that free course. We'll get it started for you. All right, Toby. All right. A viewer says, the Bible says when Jesus comes back, he will come with 144,000 people. What does that mean? 
Well, I disagree that the Bible says that. I would say that there are some people that say the Bible says that. Uh, the idea of the 144,000 is only found a couple of places. These are the references most often used, and they are in the book of Revelation. And to understand the book of Revelation, we need to know a couple things. Number one, you need to understand that John's describing a vision. It's highly symbolic imagery. It's, the, it's a type of, of writing of the apocalyptic literature that is different. You don't take everything in there. It's not meant to be literal. It's meant to be symbolic. Uh, second thing you need to understand about the book of Revelation is the very first verse. Uh, the Apostle John, while he's imprisoned on the island of Patmos, he writes, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Uh, so these things were written to those people at that time as an encouragement and a comfort and we, in the context, we can understand that there were a lot of Christians who were being persecuted and many being martyred because they refused to worship Caesar, because they refused to worship human beings as God. They just couldn't. That brought a lot of persecution. And so this revelation to John was given as an encouragement and a comfort to Christians in this area at that time. So uh, now, could there be some principles that would apply for all Christians? Certainly, certainly an encouragement for Christians down through the ages. But the idea of 144,000 being an exact precise number involving Judgment Day, uh, I don't think that's the case because every other part of this vision that John writes down is written in this highly symbolic language. Uh, if you want to understand that highly symbolic language, it helps to understand much of the Old Testament, by the way. Um, but these, this vision that was given to John was designed to keep uh, the Christians faithful, to encourage them to remain steadfast in their faith to the Lord. I said it's mentioned uh, a couple of times, Revelation is chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7 is the first mention of it, and uh, then Revelation chapter 14. The 144,000 mentioned in Revelation chapter 7 are called the tribes of Israel. And there's 12 tribes, of course, and there are 12,000 from each tribe that were uh, mentioned there. And so 12 times 12,000 being 144,000. I don't believe this meant a literal number, but rather the symbol of 12 meaning perfect complete, the full amount. Um, the second time it's mentioned is Revelation chapter 14. And again, uh, John's giving this vision of the Lamb and the 144,000. And you have to ask yourself, if you take the number 144,000 to be a literal number, do you take everything else in that chapter to be literal as well? For example, he mentions having the name on the foreheads. Uh, it, it mentions only men. This rules out the possibility of women being involved here. Uh, is it only to re, uh, be referred to musical people? Because they were uh, the, uh, it says they were um, the sound of, uh, anyway, I'm sorry, they were musicians. <laughs> if you read uh, verses 1 through 4 of, of Revelation 14. So the, the meaning of this, as always, can be up to interpretation, but I think it's likely represented the early Christian martyrs who were mostly Jewish converts 
uh, who had died for their faith in Christ, but I do, I do not believe it's the literal number of people uh, that are going to uh, come return with Jesus uh, on the day that he returns. Remember, these things were written about things that were shortly to come to pass, so they would have to be something that would be an encouragement for them. Let's look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Uh, this will be on your screen. After this I looked, and behold, a great number, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So as with all things, we always say context helps us to understand. Reading just a few verses ahead in Revelation chapter 7 shows us that 144,000 was not a, a limited number of the number of people who are going to be involved when Jesus returns. Hope that helps. All right. Got a, a viewer that has a question on baptism. How did the thief on the cross get to heaven if he was not baptized? Uh, we get a lot of questions or we answer a lot of questions about baptism on Know Your Bible. Uh, and there's many people who point to the Church of Christ and say, wow, you guys put a lot of emphasis on baptism. Uh, we take that as a compliment because the Bible puts a lot of emphasis on baptism. Uh, baptism is an essential step in salvation. But if you read the story of the thief on the cross, you come up with a few questions because you see that Jesus pardoned him without baptism. He told him, you will be with me this very day. So let's read this account first and we'll, we'll see if we can make sense of this. Luke 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, and he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. So again, we get back to that question. How was the thief pardoned without baptism? Uh, and first of all, we have to look at what's right in front of our face. The, the situation there with the thief on the cross and Jesus being right next to him was very different than what we read in the book of Acts with the early converts. Jesus was there in person. Jesus pardoned this man directly. Uh, the death, burial, and resurrection hadn't happened yet. Now, the death, burial, and resurrection is why that man's sins were forgiven. But in, in the earthly timeline, this hadn't happened yet. So this was a very unique situation. Uh, second of all, I know from reading the rest of the Bible that if the thief on the cross had had a chance to be baptized, he almost assuredly would have been uh, because we see it in every other account of salvation in the book of Acts. Uh, and lastly, and perhaps more importantly, we can't just take one thing that Jesus said or one story. We have to take into account the, the whole Bible and the other things that Jesus said. Specifically in Mark 16, 16, he said, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Uh, so when Jesus says something, when he commands something, it's important as believers that we do it. Uh, the, baptism is, is a big subject in the Bible. And if, if our viewers at home have questions on baptism, I highly, highly suggest that you Google all of the New Testament verses on baptism. Go through them yourself. And I am positive that you will see directly from the Bible that the, the thief on the cross is a very unique exception to an otherwise 
obvious step uh, to salvation. Yeah, Yeah, in in one way he was unique because Jesus was there, but in the other way he wasn't unique because he lived in the Old Testament. That's right. And everybody (laughs) in the Old Testament was saved by faith. Well, you know, I mean, Abraham was saved by faith. He wasn't, Abraham wasn't baptized, so That's right. <laughs> he was under that testament. Uh, but then he was the end of the Old Testament period, and Jesus did tell him directly. Uh, so now that we're in the New Testament, uh, we'll be Jesus. And I've always said, if you want to be like the thief on the cross, if you can convince me that Jesus told you personally <laughs> that you were saved, mm-hmm. uh, okay, <laughs> that's fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> if Jesus did that. But yeah, otherwise there's some <laughs> steps we need to follow. That's yep. right. <clears throat> okay, angels. Let's talk about angels for a little while. Were angels given free will? Uh, yes, evidently they were. Uh, let's just read one verse from Jude, uh, verse 6. Uh, talks about angels. It says, the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He is kept in eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So angels uh, didn't stay where they were supposed to. They left, uh, which implies they left on their own free will. Uh, They chose to rebel against God. Uh, there's some other verses that we won't put on the screen that say basically the same thing. Second uh, Peter 2 and verse 4 talks about the angels who sinned. Uh, to sin, you've got to have free will. Second Timothy 2.26 talks about Satan's will. Uh, he had a will. And uh, Jude 1.6 we just read uh, where they chose to leave heaven. So, uh, yes, we don't understand all the details, but we believe angels were created with free will. Uh, Some of them rebelled against God. Some people believe that was up to a third of the angels uh, led by Satan uh, rebelled against God and left heaven at that point. So, yeah, angels had free will. Let's uh, invite you to visit the Church of Christ. That's what we do next year. Uh, The Churches of Christ produce this program and uh, uh, support us and keep us on the air, and we appreciate that. So we like to mention some each week uh, today. Let's mention one up in our South Dakota market in Sioux Falls where we broadcast on KDLT up there. great group of folks at the uh, South Southeastern Avenue Church of Christ and uh, good supporters of Know Your Bible. Uh, we appreciate them and uh, hope that if you looking for a church home, you drop in and um, tell them hi and say you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Uh, maybe you know somebody that attends the Sioux Falls Church of Christ. Tell them that you heard about them on your program and appreciate them supplying it for you. Uh, whatever market you're in, there's a Church of Christ near you probably. If you're looking for folks that think and study the Bible a lot like we do on this program, uh, drop in and visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, tell me more angels. More angels. People what? like the we're, subject of angels. It is a fascinating angels. study and lots of good questions about where does it tell about the creation of angels. It really doesn't. Uh, we see the first introduction of angels kind of depends. It says in Genesis 3 there was a cherubim, if you call that an angel, uh, but specifically using the word angel is in Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham 
uh, was stopped, called out to by an angel as he was going to offer his son Isaac. Uh, and then we see angels all throughout the story of Scripture uh, ascending and descending with Jacob uh, and his dream in Genesis 28. Uh, so there's lots of places where angels are uh, involved. But when angels are involved, typically all they are doing is acting as a servant or a messenger to do the will of God or to deliver a message from God. They take different forms, of course. We see that. So we have a picture in our mind of what angels look like. Uh, but they're, they're different forms throughout the scripture. So an angel simply means a servant. But we, ha we do not, and we believe they are created beings, but we do not have in scripture anywhere that specifically tells us how and when they were created. We assume that it was either with the creation story or maybe before that, but we really don't know. Let's look at Psalm chapter 148, verses 2 through 5. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. So I think, I mean, this is just Toby's view of it, that, that they were created along with all of that, but they could have been created um, many centuries before that or a long time before that. The scripture just doesn't say. The point is Colossians chapter 1 tells us the point. It says, uh, Colossians 1, 16 and 17, this won't be on the screen, but the Apostle Paul says, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So angels is an interesting study, but don't let, get your focus distracted. Keep centered on Christ. Uh, that's what it's all about. Hope that helps. All right, home interior decoration here, yes, Jeff. I, I didn't know we had a question like you, this, but you, it's it's we, we handle it all. That's right. A uh, viewer wants to know. I've or asks. I've decorated my home with metal signs of suns. I've been told that is like worshiping the sun. I don't worship the sun or any idols. Do I have to take them down? Uh, obviously, the Bible warns against idolatry. It makes mention of people using graven images um, to represent an idol. And, and a loose definition of an idol is something that takes a place that belongs to God. Uh, and based on that definition, there are idols everywhere. However, um, in this particular case, I know for a fact that the sons used for decoration are, are not idols. And the key to me knowing that is in the viewer's question uh, when they say, uh, I do not worship the sun or any idols. Uh, for an idol to be an idol, you have to worship it. So to answer that question, uh, no, I think you're fine with your decorations. People use a lot of decorations from nature and different animals. And as long as there's not something you're not telling me about worshiping those things, then I, I think your, your decor is fine. <laughs> I know some people with animals sticking that straight out of the wall, Steve. Just, yep, you know. yep. <laughs> Dead animals on the wall. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We're out of time for questions today, but uh, if you got any other interior decorating questions or uh, mainly questions about the Bible, we'll be happy to deal with them in weeks ahead. Let's answer our trivia question. Uh, what does Revelation say the 12 gates of the New Jerusalem are made of? 
And if you read Revelation 21.1, it says pearls, great big pearls. Uh, I personally think that's symbolic and just describing a place that's beyond description. But uh, if they're actually pearl gates, that's fine with me too. So uh, he, he can do it any way he wants. Might even be some sun signs somewhere around. I don't think so. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for coming today, and we hope you have a great week. Until next week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.